Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. It is December 22nd. We are three days away from Christmas, so Merry Merry if you celebrate and Happy Holidays if you don't. With me today is going to be an amazing show with amazing guests. It's our holiday special. So without further ado, let me just say that I'm thrilled to welcome to the show a dynamic duo responsible for such sketch comedy hits as Gay Hell, My Date with Gays for Trump, uh, Woke Scooby-Doo, and I recently got to collaborate with these guys on their Halloween video, Pennywise and the Babadook Engagement, which went viral. Individually, they are Chris Bryant and Ryan Fisher, but together they are the comedy team Enemies of Dorothy. Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, hello. I, Michael, I need to just do your NPR voice. It's so good. Uh, thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, there is something to be said about being on a microphone. I don't think we ever acknowledge it when we do the show, but like, I find myself like falling into that Terry Gross, like, good afternoon and welcome. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Get us some Ira Glass, you know. This uh, queer American life. The, yeah, you know, that's a, there's an idea. <laughs> that, there's a sketch idea. Well, I'm uh, so excited to have you both here today because uh, not only do I know and adore you both, but like we uh, got to work together recently and it was a lot of fun. And uh, in addition to kind of being part of the extended family of my universe, we both have sh- uh, shows here on Reverie. So it's yeah. sort of like yeah. this holiday special is keeping it in the family, as it were. And that's what holidays are isn't, all about. Isn't yeah? it just, keeping isn't it in the family. Yeah. Incest. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. Well, it's a little early for me, but... Um, <laughs> Well, we might as well keep things going and kick off the show the same way I always do with the same first question I ask every guest. And it's simply this. Why horror? Why does it interest you? What's your point of entry? Uh, and, you know, feel free to interpret it as you will, because I know, Ryan, you're, you're a little more uh, mm-hmm. interested in the spooky than Chris. So we can yeah. we talk a little bit about that. So just why horror and go for it, guys. Yeah, I, I loved it since I was a child. I blame my mother. She was one of those like, you know, how did they get away with this? Showing us The Shining, Halloween. Nothing was off the table. I remember being horrified by Halloween. Michael Myers was like uh, somebody that haunted my dreams, but I still loved it. You know what I mean? She she would let us watch the adult movies and never really thought anything of it. So I think since a young age, I, I, I definitely was drawn to this kind of spooky, scary Halloween. We would go decked out Halloween mostly every year, just tons and tons and tons of decorations. We had a, a child's play doll that... Oh. Uh, a, a little Chucky that terrified my older brother. And so us young kids, we would always hide it in his bed or in the shower, <laughs> put it in Aww. his car with a butcher's knife. And uh, it was just, it was family fun, which I think is quite opposite of Christopher. Yeah, I wasn't really allowed to watch movies as a kid. The one, you know what I was thinking of was like, what was like the earliest like horror film that I could remember? And... There was a documentary, a fake documentary about the Blair Witch Project. Do you remember this? Oh, was it the one that Polly Shore did? Or? No, there was like a fake, like, I think it was a History Channel did a documentary about like the b- around the same time that the Blair Witch Project was being released, being like, it's all real. Okay, right. yeah, yeah. And that was like the only thing I, I snuck out and watched that. But besides that, my parents were like so religious that I didn't watch any of those movies. And... 
now I'm finally watching them. Yeah, I get to show you. I don't like them at all. <laughs> uh, we watched Pennywise. That, that's I just called it the Pennywise movie. That's how that's how I remember it. It's called It. We watched right. It for the first time this year. I mean, of course, the first time. That, well, I mean, it just came out. We you haven't the, seen the original. I didn't see the original. I don't like clowns. Uh, and we yeah, watched it this, and I, this and year. I think we told you about this, Michael, right. because Chris has this incredible fear of clowns, which amuses me to no end. And <laughs> uh, it was just natural that if we were going to do uh, Pennywise Baba Duke spoof, then uh, Chris would have to be the clown. So I I managed to talk him into it. I got him to dress up as his worst well, fear. Okay, here's the thing. We watched the movie. And I started sobbing after the movie because I was <laughs> yep. so upset and sad. And then afterwards, Ryan was like, let's write a sketch about it as I was sobbing. I, I feel like, you know, I, I wasn't very evil, underhanded, forcing you to do this. There was there is something about horror for me as well that that, you know, you're drawn to your fear in a way. And I mm-hmm. think, Christopher, you, you have to agree with me that. I only led you to the idea of maybe doing a sketch with the clown. I think you really jumped on board with it, though. And if you watch, you saw firsthand, you know, you really shone in in your creepy little Pennywise. It's interesting uh, that you would throw yourself into the role of a clown since you were afraid of them. Uh, Do you have a distinctive like memory of like when you first became afraid of clowns? Like, has this always been a thing? I think that I I remember watching Bozo as a kid, and oh. I remember not liking clowns because they remind me of my mother. Like, they're oh. just, like, <laughs> loud and flamboyant and just, like, over the top, and I just, I don't like things like that. Chris, Chris. My mom's very, she's like a southern woman with, like, that has a boa collection and sometimes mm-hmm. wears a tiara just for fun. Okay. And... Uh, she's also very frightening, uh, and uh, I just, uh, it's it just they they remind me of her like when she's not on medication and is really upset. Like that is what clowns kind of remind me of. So I guess it was just yeah from an early age and the in the makeup was always scary. I never like makeup in general like goth makeup or any kind of crazy makeup. It just like for some reason scared me a bit. And then we went in and did, I, I think the reason is I saw it and it was kind of, it was scary. I was crying afterwards, but there was something about like kind of overcoming my fear mm-hmm. of these clowns of just being, of being like, <laughs> I don't know if it's screwed up that I watched the movie. I was like, you know what? They killed kids, but it's like, maybe they're not so bad. Like, I don't know why <laughs> I got that out of the movie. And I was like, so maybe bad. they're not so bad. So I think that's the point of it, though. The whole point is that uh, the catharsis that you feel from it, you, you know, it's not so scary. You did confront it, and it wasn't that bad. It was an enjoyable movie. Well, what I found out is that I'm a monster, mm-hmm. and I feel like what I was afraid of most is maybe a bit of myself. I know that's so cheesy to say. But, I mean, we <laughs> put on the Pennywise makeup on myself, and I turned into an absolute... Freaky little... I liked it a little bit too much, yeah. I think. Yeah, there's something there, Chris. Uh, I don't want to know what it is. Well, I think and it's it's true of a lot of creators I've talked with over the course of this show that some people actually uh, initially weren't drawn to the genre because 
of of fear. And there's there's a facing of the fear that you then embrace because I think as uh, LGBT people we recognize otherness in ways that mainstream audiences don't. Mm. And so sometimes when you see that outsider status or that otherness, it may be you're afraid of it for reasons different than what the average movie goer would be. And I'm not saying it's because like deep inside you're a murderous clown, but mm. uh, or maybe I maybe. don't know. Well, that's you know being raised very religious the hell houses that you had to go through I feel like that has something to do with it too yeah my hometown for instance they don't have haunted houses they have a hell house have you heard of this I kind of know but could you explain these to the audience because I think this is deeply fascinating um so a hell house is something they do like in southern small towns where instead of going through a haunted house you are you go through a walk through exhibit and you're like okay this woman's a lesbian and this man looked at porn and they're all two teenagers and they get in a car accident and you get to see what happens to them and how they burn in hell and it basis basically like it guilts you from seeing porn or being gay and it's like well here are the consequences that you're gonna get and then you see this like crazy thing of them all these like of getting tortured their limbs being pulled apart i mean horrifying things but it's even scarier because unlike a haunted house where you just walk through it you get emotionally attached to these people beforehand where you feel like oh they're the everyday teenagers that i know you go through a little bit of a play beforehand and then you walk through the haunted house and you see them getting tortured so there's a little bit of an emotion more of an emotional aspect and then at the end they're like would you like to give up everything and give your life to Christ? And the weird thing is, like, I was, like, a born-again Christian, like, every other week in the Bible Belt. Like, I was <laughs> like, yes, I would. And they're like, no, you've already done this. Like, you did this last year. Like, you get one shot. But they were so horrifying, you know? Like, that is terrifying. Yeah, and you go through and you see, I mean, especially as a gay kid seeing a les. I remember seeing a lesbian and and it was like a huge deal and seeing that since she liked girls and she wanted it and she's like mom I want to date a girl and then eventually you see her in this car accident and she's getting her limbs taken apart and they're torturing her no I think the real horror of it is and no disrespect or maybe a little because I don't give a shit <laughs> is the fact that it, it, the house is designed to kind of keep you on the straight and narrow but it's kind of like schadenfreude as well because you are going through and there's a, p- a portion of that show that is supposed to kind of like allow you to delight in the punishment of these sinners mm-hmm. which to me doesn't feel like very christianly no but i think the thing is is it it's that it's also really screwed up because in a small town where there are no type of dramatic productions this is where the theater kids were getting off you know what I right. mean like it, the, I think it's ironic that all the kids that were a part of this were definitely probably gay like they're definitely those theater nerds that but then it's it's so screwed up in so multiple ways for that mm-hmm. and their only artistic way is also in a church making themselves feel worse about themselves you know uh, it, it, and then yeah, it's there's this thing of like people, these adults that are like, I know what's right and what's wrong. And they're definitely just people that probably were taught the same way. They had a hell house when they were a kid and they're like continuing the tradition and they're probably closed minded about themselves. It's so it's also screwed up because it makes me realize like why there are so many religious things in horror films. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because I feel like people have 
they feel creepy going to a church. They feel cre- there's something really dark about people who shut themselves off and then they end up screwed up because of it, you know? Yeah. Well, it's all about punishment and uh, a lot of a lot of religious horror you see it's kind of the punishment and the and the relegation and and kind of being made to feel like an outsider in the case of Carrie or like the exorcist where like, you know, look at how awful it is if the devil takes a hold of you. Honestly, the goriest film of the year it came out was The Passion of the Christ. It was like one of the most violent movies I had seen in years. It was one of the only movies I was allowed, I wasn't allowed to watch much, most, most movies. And they're like, but watch Passion of the Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, I mean, it's the biggest horror film you could ever watch, I feel I'll like. I'll take Child's Play. Yeah. I'll take that. At least it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's fun, and I do feel like there's something... I mean, we're talking about how we did a sketch with the Pennywise and Babadook. There's something to say why they are icons in a way. Right. There are things that are, like, shunned, and yet we're, we relate to them because they are these shunned monstrous creatures, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what, like Mike was saying, understanding that otherness, right? Yeah. And do you suppose that it was because of, of those experiences growing up that's how you turned to comedy? Oh, yeah. I think that for me, I needed a way to artistically let it out. So, I I mean, I'll say that I started with doing stand-up. And Ryan's, you know, kind of comes from a more sketch background with how Ryan wrote sketches as a kid. I've been doing stand-up for like five or six years. And for me, I think it was emotionally letting out especially my issues with my mom. A lot of my jokes are I take something my mom says literally. Like there was one Christmas where she literally did say to me, you know, Chris, if I can accept you for being a gay, you need to accept me for being a bad parent. And (laughs) I was like... I love her. (laughs) And then most, a lot of my stand-up about my mom is I was like, well, maybe I should just find like, okay... Actually, that's kind of logical in some ways. Like, I kind of took the craziness and the the religious aspect and just kind of made fun of it because it's like, okay, I can either cry about it forever or just, like, laugh about it. And it's kind of cool because people relate to it. Yeah, with Enemies of Dorothy, that's kind of even where we get the title from. Right. Um, it's the euphemism Friend of Dorothy. And it means, uh, if you don't know, that uh, it's a subtle way of saying that's a gay person. Right. So um, I thought it came from Wizard of Oz, Dorothy Gale. And, you know, she has really queer friends. <laughs> and well, Judy Garland was uh, is a queer icon. Right. Yeah. But uh, I guess Dorothy Parker is an old artist, poet, uh, socialite in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. she had a lot of parties where she was very accepting of gay people. So a lot of people trace back uh, Friends of Dorothy to her. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I always thought it was connected to The Wizard of Oz, and it was just a different generation of gay men. But I am also familiar with Dorothy Parker and her uh, her brand of kind of sarcasm. I could see like being like very appealing to to gay men. Yeah. Well, she basically was the origin of the like white parties in Los Angeles. Like she threw these elaborate parties with lots of gay men, and I think to I think it was to get into the parties they would be like, "Are you a friend of Dorothy?" It just became like somehow. Um, like, oh, that just means are you gay? I think, and but then I'm sure people heard it and didn't know who she was, and eventually got a Wizard of Oz meaning behind it as well. I mm-hmm. was thinking the Tin Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think both really work. They're they're both in the zeitgeist now. Yeah, but I think it works. Enemies of Dorothy is more in that 
tongue of in tongue in cheek kind of. Uh, it's funny because people will see us on Twitter and think that we're a hate group. Yeah, we've gotten <laughs> that before. Really? But it's like you you know that people who hate well, gay people wouldn't know what Friends of Dorothy meant. The, but the whole point is kind of taking that what is used against us and just showing it for what it is. And that's where the comedy comes from with right. gays for Trump. Um, a lot of people can watch that and say, this is the best bit of trolling I've ever seen. Even woke Scooby-Doo. Like yeah. a lot of the, the tone that we have really seems anti-liberal in a way. And it, it it's not anti-liberal, but I think the thing is we're able to poke fun of ourselves, but at the same time be like, but this is obviously the bigger problem. Right. Like yeah. we're able to do a few self jokes, but mainly the jokes still point on like the, you know, fucked up administration that we have right now with Trump and everything um, but I think we're, we're we have a self-aware humor as being like okay but this is what we're doing in the in the wrong and kind of how we're gonna be able to to get in the correct path and get our voices heard mm-hmm. um, I mean we did we did a sketch called uh, gays for Trump where we we kind of talk about uh, we point out a lot of flaws in the gays for Trump movement and their viewpoints and how they think. And weirdly enough, that sketch got so many viewers who were gays for Trump. And it was weird because in a way it, they could only hear how ridiculous they were by this sketch. I feel like by poking, cause we folked, if we didn't poke fun at the other liberal side as well, I feel like they wouldn't be able to hear or hear their point and realize hear a point and realize why some of their logic is illogical yeah totally we get that that feedback that's like um you know i I loved this i loved the ending of course the libtards would would choose this and be like that and i'm like well (laughs) you know uh, some of us are laughing at you but the rest of us you know we're starting this conversation and uh it's not one-sided right well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you both on the show today, uh, beyond, of course, that we did work together on yep. the Pennywise Babadook video, which we have alluded to, and I do want to talk about a bit more, but I think that one of the things that I think is very strong about the work that you do is there is a thread of social commentary in there. And one thing that I think is very interesting, although not everyone could initially see it, is that the world of horror and the world of comedy sort of run parallel to each other. And good horror, and I've said this on many episodes and in life, that good horror uh, can often be a reflection of things going on in the world, and you can utilize the genre as a mechanism of commentary. And I, I want to talk to you both a little bit a little bit about the relationship of comedy and horror, because though uh, I know that, Ryan, you like spooky things, and Chris, you're a little more dubious about it, a lot of the sketches and comedy that you do tend to veer into darkness, mm-hmm. which I think is really uh, a thing that is is a hallmark of the of the work you do, and I really like because when watching it, I thought to myself, okay, there is there is a horror here, gay hell, the idea mm-hmm. that in uh, the uh, the sketch uh, things only gay guys can do that you do, where like at the end you it bites my neck off, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, that was a, we wanted as much blood as we could do in that moment, and there wasn't nearly enough. <laughs> so, w- what is it about kind of a tangoing with darkness that works for comedy? Do you think? I th- and it doesn't work for everyone. I mean, it's why we get some like peace. I hate saying that word, but there are. It's weird. I'm a very liberal person, but there are some people that are so overtly PC and get offended by everything that I'm like, oh god, come on, right? Um, I deal with sadness by not dealing with it. I feel like I'm the type of person that like if someone dies, I will just start laughing because I it just it's. 
and we'll start making jokes about it. And I think sometimes it's healthy, sometimes it's not. Right. Uh, sometimes you have to cry. But I feel like we kind of deal with a lot of our feelings about the current political climate by laughing about it because I feel like it's sometimes the only way. If not, we would just be crying reading the news every day. And we just have a dark sense of humor. I think it's how Ryan and I connect is that we find sometimes really fucked up, tragic things. We find something funny in it. We yeah. find something of being like, well, this is life. And sometimes there's just this moment. Laughing is a similar emotion to crying in a weird way. It's it's definitely like an exhaling emotion. Right. And it's just our fucked up way of dealing with things sometimes. And making it more visceral in a way. I think taking it that extra step to show human blood, you know, and then everyone's laughing at right. it. I think there's something so human about bleeding, you know. Yeah. And it's it's scary, but if if you can really push somebody into laughter from something like that, I think it's a very powerful thing. Well, I think it was Mel Brooks, if, and I'm probably going to paraphrase this very, very poorly, but he said something along the lines that uh, when I get a paper cut, it's tragedy, but if I am walking and fall into an open manhole and die, that's comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think uh, you have to laugh at life because it's miserable, kind of, mm -hmm. but that's, uh, that's the interesting parallel is that there has been horror sort of all throughout a lot of the videos that you do. Yeah. Uh, and that initially very much drew me to the work that that um, you guys do on Enemies for Dorothy. Tell me a little bit about um, how how you came together in, in creating all of this. Like, what what is the origin of of this the team? Well, if you don't know, Ryan and I are in a relationship. There, we're saying we're it. We're saying it. <laughs> we wanted it's to come first... on this podcast to come out of the closet. We're both gay, and we're gay together. <laughs> we're gay together. <laughs> Um, oop. <laughs> I just fell into fell. a manhole. Yeah. <laughs> we, okay, so Ryan and I have been dating for about two and a half years. I've been doing stand-up, and Ryan was more doing, like, I think when we started dating, Ryan was starting to do this show called Street Tease, which was gay men doing Meryl Street monologues, and it was super funny. Okay, I'm going to have some questions about that. Oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> we wanted to some... I, I don't know if I really wanted to work together at first, but Ryan Ryan is really optimistic, and I feel like I'm definitely more of the cynical person, mm -hmm. and Ryan's like, we really need to work together, we can do these sketches, blah, 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 and I was just like, ugh, sketches, writing, working, blah, like, that's kind of how I was, it took probably to our, to our first sketch for me to really believe and be like, oh my god, we can make an impact, not just by me talking, you know, to a microphone and in a comedy club, but actually, like, filming something together, yeah. and... We made our first sketch, which was just something that I texted to someone saying things only gay guys could do, which was like a parody of the BuzzFeed type sketches of being like, these are stupid, like, you know, like quick, quick, quick second of things that only gay guys can do. But at the end, obviously being things that gay guys shouldn't do, which is obviously being very touching a woman inappropriately without consent. Mm. I mean, it was kind of like kind of the subtext behind it. And I realized that it had a positive impact in that some women felt like their voices were being heard. And we just kind of, we started writing about things that we're passionate about. And I, I think the biggest thing that really created Enemies of Dorothy was the election. I think both of us needed to kind of emotionally deal with the trauma of that, of this Trump administration. Yeah, it definitely pushed us over the edge a bit. And I saw 
and this comes back to sort of um, the queerness of our work and a lot of, you know, the actors, like, do they come out? Will it hurt their career? And I really think that this kind of um, thinking of it as a, a niche, but, you know, I, I can be a gay actor, but I'm going to be the best gay actor. Isn't right. that a smaller pond to be better at? Or gay comedians, it's like, okay, well, th that's something that we're living in a time where you can certainly embrace it. And the political stuff is just, um, you know, a launching board to it because there's an audience there that has the same views that are interested and that you can teach people about. Um, I worked on a, a web series called The Spinoffs and it was about fake YouTube vloggers. And this is how I actually kind of met Christopher as this character. His name was Jake. And and so every vlogger had their own channel. I was openly Jake and uh, they concentrated on their sort of niche things. Mine was the gay stuff. And we'd all meet in the web series and we'd play roommates together. And right. that's what the show's kind of so about. They, so, yeah, the political stuff of Openly Jake would be every week we'd say, oh, well, guess what? Like this amicus briefing filed in uh, Sacramento, California, is uh, calling for the uh, uh, you know shooting line of gay people. And it was kind of a, a quirky thing of take a, a spin on what's gay in the news. And it was something we were just sort of figuring out uh, with this uh, company behind us. And it was just feeling so right. And it, it got so much attention. And openly Jake was in The Advocate and on Queerty. And, and, and everyone was very interested in these sort of political spins that were very comedic. So when that ended and uh, Chris and I developed our relationship and we sort of had means to get together and start creating our own content because what else are you going to do in Hollywood? Right. And so it, just pushing it towards that, yes, queer is good. Political is great. And comedy is something that we just sort of fall to it's naturally. It's in our blood. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it, I don't know, it was so weird as meant to be. And it's so weird how, it's weird working with a boyfriend too, I feel like. Like it's always, it's, it's weird because we kind of do everything together. Yeah. Like we live together, we wake up, and then it's like, what are you doing about this sketch? Da, 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 da. And I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's definitely tough. <laughs> well, then tell me a little bit about the process. What is, is, is there even a regular or average process of creating a video or is each one different? <laughs> the process is Ryan is like, you're, you need to write something, write it. And then will yell at me for two weeks about it. Then he'll end up writing it himself. And then I will edit what he writes and then he'll edit what I wrote. <laughs> and then we have something that was not the original idea at all, but it's there. Yeah, I think it's honestly like a, a gut feeling and um, it was just something we were sort of doing and then it started working and people were liking it. And so there was a moment of like, you know, we, we could just, you develop a sense for it. Whether, um, so we collaborate with other writers as well. We write a lot. Yeah, we started doing sketches, a lot more collaborating. But um, what great uh, Chris is great at is punch-ups. So we'll have a draft of a script, which has no jokes in it, but it has the idea of what we want. And then he'll come in and say, well, it'd be really funny to have like this line here. And, and you get a sense for that timing. 
Ryan's really good with like like I don't know how human interaction works. Mm-hmm. So That's Ryan, true. like the problem is like if I write a script, Ryan's like people would never what how how did you get to this point? And I'm like I don't know. This is how it works in my mind. So I feel like Ryan has a draft of what people would actually say. I know how to kind of write most like the joke the actual jokes in it. And that's kind of where, and then we have a great film crew, our friend Brandon. We shoot all of this for free, by the way, which is so crazy. Like, we have no budget. We somehow are able to do everything for free. And I think it's because we're blessed because our friends, uh, like our friend Brandon, who's amazing. Yeah, Brandon Smithson is uh, uh, the, the DOP. What, yeah. Do we and call it that here in the U.S.? A DOP? A DP, I think yeah, we call it Yeah, director of photography. Yeah. The cinematographer, if you were to ask my father. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, fancy cameraman. He does it all for <laughs> us. Uh, he's kind of our, a little bit of our team as well, and he does like all of our uh, you know, shooting and helps with lights and sounds and everything. It's so sweet that we have a team of people who just do it for free because they love it, and they want our voices to be heard. Yeah, I think it's a lot of a friends and family kind of effort, which is is what makes it work so well. Is we have a list of people that we sort of came up with when we started uh, making the sketches in the first place, being like, "Well, that person's a genius, and they have such a great character. They need to be in something." So we've honestly been just working our way down this list of writers, directors, people that we've come across that we're like, "Hey, can you just be involved with this with us?" Because it's a family effort and uh, I think that's that really comes across in it and the best uh, I think the best insult we ever got was on one of our sketches was about you know what I I, I know why you guys are uh, what your problem is you obviously have a lot of money behind you but it's it's because what you're saying about gays for Trump you know you're so intolerant and, and you're, you're these libtards who are intolerant but obviously you know you got amazing actors I mean you must be footing this bill of thousands of dollars your it's mom obviously... and your daddies must pay for all of this <laughs> and we're like we have no money thank, thank you so much much. I love a backhanded compliment of like, this looks expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, obviously this looks expensive, but you know what's wrong with it is that you, you're the what you're saying about uh, queer life. Well, we didn't hear anything. We're just like, this looks expensive. <laughs> you think we have a budget? It was. <laughs> Uh, you do have an amazing troupe of people that you work with, and it was, it's really fun to watch the videos and see who returns and uh, how they all interweave. Uh, as a film person myself, I have to ask, is there uh, Enemies of Dorothy the movie ever in your mind? Uh, we we develop a lot of different ideas, you know. We, we we're wanted... pitching a few ideas of just like TV show. I feel like Ryan and I more work TV shows than movie wise. Like with the way that we think, we think more episodic and more short form as far as our writing. Don't but, you think? Yeah, uh, but I do absolutely fall in love with those characters. Like I want to make a movie about the game mafia. Like just those people. I think that would be, or even a whole TV show just focused yeah. on them. I think the. Gay Agenda, that office scene with our uh, friend Anita Procedure, who was the uh, ball-busting drag queen that's yelling at all the other uh, queer workers. Uh, just fall around for two hours. I, I'd, I'd watch a whole show on that, yeah. Oh, for someone who has a fear of clowns, how do you do with drag queens? Oh, no. You're going to give me death <laughs> threats on this podcast? Okay. I have a huge artistic appreciation for drag queens. <laughs> well um, I watch drag queens the same way that I watch sports. I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just like, 
what's going on? Like, I know, I know that what is happening it took a lot of effort, right? And it, it's re, it's great. I don't, I know if I understand it. I watch. I think the thing is though. That says that's kind of too general because there are some drag queens that I love. There's some drag well, like our friend Anita Procedure. She sings live is fucking amazing, phenomenal. I love seeing her. I don't get the lip singing stuff. I I just don't. It's I don't I don't get it. Right. But I don't really like a lot of pop stuff live, anyways. Um, and. I was gonna say I think there are as many drag performers as there are regular performers yeah. though who like run a diverse gamut. So you just have to kind of find the one for you. Yeah, yeah, and like I don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race, but I also don't watch American Idol or The Voice. Like I just don't like reality TV competitions. So I feel bad. It's not that I don't. I also I think the majority of of I would say drag performance performers do have a slapstick comedy type of vibe that is not something that I like. I artistically appreciate it. F- Meaning, like, I'm, you know, I'm like, good, it's good that you're doing that, but it's not the thing that I go out and see. But I feel like if I, I've had to carefully word this. Yeah, shame. <laughs> because Chris, most gay shame. people are like, you don't watch Willem, and that's the only drag queen I know. <laughs> so that's the only person I can put on that list. But they're like, you don't watch these people and their music videos. And I'm like, I just, it's not my thing. And I feel bad for not liking it as much as I. I want to like it more than I, I do. You're not gay enough, Chris. Yeah. Oh, well, there's an accusation. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if you can envision here in the studio, Ryan stood up and pointed his finger dramatically at Chris and said, you, sir, are you. not gay enough. No, yeah, I actually don't think that's a problem at all because it's. I, I say this often about horror and cult cinema as well. What makes cult is that it isn't for everyone, and that's sort of like the magic of it. Like if everybody embraced something, it wouldn't have that sort of like cult or niche appeal and drag queens are cult in their way there is an underground there's a punk rock element to it and if everybody liked it that's not punk rock that's denny's and i enjoy i enjoy seeing it occasionally it's not that i don't enjoy it's just that i don't go out of my way to watch it or to watch rupaul you know what i mean but when i've seen rupaul's drag race i'm like great like it's not you know what i mean it's just fine it's something i don't go out of my way to see and it's something i think goes back to um you know being an angsty teenager finding yourself in your place Uh, some of us had things like hedwig and the angry inch or rocky horror picture show and these are these cult punk rock kind of outliers that are like you know i this is something that is speaking to me specifically and no one else gets how queer this is and I don't mean queer like gay but just that that queerness right. you know I didn't have that and, as a kid and you didn't is... have movies I'm finally watching movies oh yeah he's seen yeah, a I lot got, of movies I got a movie pass time. I watched the the James and the Dave Franco thing the movie where they do the thing about the oh, the, the disaster, disaster artist disaster yeah. artist. I just saw that two nights ago it was, it was fantastic I loved it yeah yeah. it was fantastic uh, and I know who they are now good you mean James Franco and Dave Franco? Yeah, I know yeah. who they are. Now he knows. Who I they was are. really excited because now I'm like, I feel like the more movies that you watch, the more celebrities you know. And I don't know who they are, and I'm like really excited. But like, I've just never watched them as a kid, and now that I have a movie pass, it's kind of like forcing me to watch movies for once, and yeah. I'm finding it really fun. Well, this is uh, usually a question I say for much later in the show, but because you've made this revelation, I have to ask, what are you watching lately that's, like, really exciting you? We're re-watching Parks and Recreation. This isn't exciting. Okay. I, I've never actually seen I'm Parks and Recreation. I'm making Re- him watch Parks and Recreation because it's, like, 
the one thing that I did like when I was a kid, I would sneak up at night and watch sitcoms. And I remember watching um, what's his name from Three's Company? Is it John Ritter? Oh, John Ritter, yeah, yeah. And just falling in love with him. And it, I was just amazed because it's weird now that shows super homophobic. But I, at the time, I was just amazed that it's the first time that I heard what gay was was that he was pretending to be a gay person, and. It, it was such a big deal for a straight person to be able to pretend that they were gay and right. being in such a closeted backwards environment. That was my first gay icon was John Ritter. Wow, Jack Tripper on Three's Company. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Uh, you know, sneak it. What I like about this all, it is full circle in the discussion of, uh, as, as Ryan pointed out, some of us had Hedvig and Rocky Horror and there was that underground connection. But because yeah. you had limited access, for you, sitcoms and comedy, and I guess Three's Company, that was like your underground, because you were sneaking to watch sneaking it. Sneaking so to watch it at night. Yeah, yeah, so of course that's where you kind of get the seeds of finding your, yourself in comedy, because that's that was your, your rebellion, in a way. Yeah, so and I feel like now I'm watching movies. I got my movie pass. I watched the, which is an amazing movie, The the Disaster Artist. And I was so sad, Ryan, to get to see it with it. But it's a phenomenal movie. I really liked it. I think it's it's a, it's a hit. Yeah. In yeah. a way, The Room was not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Chris, you you know, you're sort of new at all of the, the enjoying of cinema and stuff. I made him watch all of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And he could only do one episode a sitting. So there was no binge watching it to get ready for the latest season that just passed. He can't do horror and gore, and I sort of relish in that. You see a very physical reaction from him for it. Like he well, he, he can't really watch weird. certain shows with me. I, I got to do them on my own. I can't watch her. I can't watch Mindhunters. Mindhunter, yeah, Mindhunter. I I just finished that. Have you seen that, Michael? Oh, yeah, I haven't finished it, but I, I did. I think the last episode was the best. Well, talk about it, since Michael has not seen it. No, he's. I'm not going to talk about the last episode. No spoilers. It's just <laughs> It's just so... Um, I, and I love serial killers. I've always had a fascination with that and, and murder and, and that kind of... It's weird. I love murder, too, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> I love it when someone's talking about the logistics that happened, but as soon as there's like a re- like when I watch Mindhunters and it's like real and like it's not real, but right. it's like it's weird. It's like if someone's talking about it from the past, I'm fine with that. But when someone's recreating it and there's actual gore because I didn't watch gory movies or stuff growing up. I'm like a child where it's like almost like real to me. Like I feel like I'm mm-hmm. really seeing someone getting murdered. But that's that's why the movies are made. That's why yeah. that's why people go see them. Yeah, ultimately you're more of the audience for horror movies than even people like me because mm-hmm. I'm so entrenched in it that like I don't see them for fear. I see them for other things. I like going to horror movie screenings and like have someone lose their mind. Next I I can distinctly remember every horror movie I've ever been where someone lost their shit. Because that, to me, was like part of the audience experience. Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to enjoy them. I mean, I I don't like gory movies though. Still, like I do have to say, they're like the new like. I remember seeing the first Saw, and I liked that. And then after that, I was trying to watch a recent one, and I was just like, oh, like what? There, I would rather I like more psychological, thrilling, scary type stuff. Like the Babadook for me was such an amazing movie because it was like, it's real. It's like about mental illness, you know. Right. Rather than just watching someone getting torn apart limb by limb is like, oof. Well, let's talk about the Babadook because yeah. now's a good time to bring it back to our old pal. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, 
And a little foundation for this. Sometime in June, I received a phone call from uh, Matthew Rodriguez at Mike.com. And it was very early in the morning. And he was like, you know, we're doing a piece on the Babadook and his rise as a queer icon. And because you run this queer horror panel at Comic-Con, we need a quote from you. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Because I was just, I was like, at, like <laughs> so news. tired. Did you know that the Babadook was an icon at this point? Or did he just He's call just you? He's breaking the news to him, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really, I even, I even said, I was like, I need a second to like think about this. Like, but like, and it instantly made sense to me though, yeah. because it's, you know, yeah. the Babadook is a character that literally represents, as you said, repression breaking free. Now, yeah. in the case of the movie, of course, it's like, this lady's like mental anguish and not queerness. So it's sort of a false equivalency, but I could see how the through line would be drawn uh and i gave that quote next thing i know it's in like every magazine and website from here to eternity and it's still that's amazing yeah and so uh because i I also said that he was in diane keaton drag that was a quote that like people keep bringing back um and i called and i said that freddy krueger uh was like ethel merman and so i guess um it was fun. It was cool. And then I went and did Comic-Con and all the usual stuff. And the Babadook, like, you'd see him and stuff in uh, Pride parades. And I thought it was over. And then it came out. And everyone just kept pulling those quotes and putting it in the It articles. Yeah. And that's when you got in touch with me. Yeah. I saw that in one of the uh, Pennywise Babadook uh, are apparently a couple now articles. Can I also say that it's so crazy because this is, yeah, they had the articles because it keeps going. And I can't wait to see where it goes for next year's Pride. But they had the thing about, like, are Pennywise and Babadook dating? And I don't think what we realized until we actually released this video is that people, like PC people, would be so offended by that. Right. Because Pennywise Uh, in the book... That comes... Exactly. It comes back to, you know, not just all sides of the aisle are upset at us and we're enemies of Dorothy, but <laughs> but it's so interesting of, of people's reactions to this horror of like, I don't want, you know, he's not a queer icon to me. He he's he kills gay people. Or... Well, that's what Pennywise, I guess, in the book, watched someone get murdered. So or he watched a gay person get murdered. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So the book, just like the movie, is split into two parts where there's the, the kids in the past and then them as adults in present day. And the inciting incident for the present day adult version of, of the children characters is there's like river days or something in Derry. And there is a gay bashing that happens like on a bridge. And because of like the sheer hate and fear of the moment it wakes Pennywise back up. Mm. Jesus. And uh, I thought you were going to say that in the book, there is a revelation at some point that the creature that is behind Pennywise, because Pennywise is just one of the forms it wears, Mm. is technically biologically female. And I got a lot of feedback from people. They're like, well, they can't be in a gay relationship. They can't be in a queer relationship because Pennywise is female. And to that I say... When was it ever actually established that the Babadook is male, one? Mm-hmm. And two, just because you're dating someone of the opposite sex, it doesn't mean you're not a queer person. Yeah, thank it's you all very like, much. This is all just cis, gay nonsense. We don't need your <laughs> heteronormative uh, ideas uh, going on to our Pennywise and uh, Babadook I also feel like people just want to argue. They like, do. People yeah, are yeah. like, I'm pissed off, I'm 17, and I live at home, and I'm going to argue with this Facebook video. Well, we we got on the Babadook train immediately. Like, we were the people in the Pride Parade with yeah. the poster. We were one of the many people <laughs> yeah. uh, that made a, I made a little painting with the Pride flag and the Babadook in front of it to take for our march, and I think, you know, just the sheer mistake of it, and I don't know whose tweet this was, but I'll always remember this tweet of, you know, if 
If you watched The Babadook and you didn't realize he was gay, then did you even watch the movie? <laughs> and I think there's something in our comedy that that absurdism, you know? And, yeah. like, it doesn't have to make sense. We don't have, like, oh, here's a really intricate, like, uh, backstory for the two characters and how they're a gay couple and how they met. It's like, no, the, the idea is that it is absurdism it's it's ridiculous there's there's no reason to it, and that's why you're laughing so hard for months and months and, and months. i think that's also the gay community needed a queer icon that was not just a female actress or a fe- you know like yeah. not just madonna we needed someone that was obscure that kind of related to people who are like i don't i'm definitely gay i appreciate everything that people relate to but maybe me as a person i that's not my icon right my icon is a giant monster like i feel like there are people that needed that you know well it's a monstrous world out there so why not a monster to look to to lead us oh absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's crazy that it happened after uh the trump administration though yeah. that we found we're like you know what? Our icon isn't going to be uh, another female whatever. Isn't going to be the Katy Perry whatever. It's going to be the Babadook. I it's think it was sim- also a, a reaction symbol. to that. It symbolizes it too. And, and people can really put their own experience into it. You know what I mean? Like they they just feel more connected to it in a way because it's so much more out there. Yeah. And I think that um, it just represents people as a whole, too. It just really, I feel like whoever you are, you can represent yeah. yourself in the Babadook. It's true. And I think there is parallels. We've seen this in, in the genre before, where uh, a lot of horror fans would consider the 80s to be a, a golden era, if you will. And that was uh, during the height of the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. And it was not a good time to be anyone but an old white man then. And now we're seeing with uh, Donald Trump, People are using their art, comedy, and horror to kind of strike back. And it's like why we've seen like Get Out. I think Get Out is successful because it's genius, yeah. but it's also successful because very tiny this, times. Yeah, it, I was reading about how zombies uh, are more popular during times of economic turmoil. Mm-hmm. Like the last time the zombie, I think it was like when The Walking Dead and everything was coming out was the last uh, economic uh, recession. And how it's interesting how now we have a clown in the White House and we have a clown on film. Like, it's really weird (laughs) how the characters of horror that are popular at the time kind of represent what we're going through as a society, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. And that, like, uh, we're saying same in comedy, like what we're doing. I think uh, one of my original missions was to have a jab at Vice President Mike Pence every, Every every chance we can get. We have a Lego sketch of Mike Pence we have uh, there's just so much more we made a Lego Mike Pence oh. we just like to make fun of Mike Pence just because he's just the worst it's horrifying it, it's it's honestly it really is terrifying and I know that somebody has those beliefs like who are like don't call this gay be, don't call Mike Pence gay because you're making um, light of something or whatever but it's like sometimes we need to make light of things to be able. Also, he's probably gay. Like, if he's that hateful, <laughs> he's def like he's pro- at least a little bit gay, don't you think? Oh yeah. Oh, I just sure. think some people are evil. I don't want to get like my thing is is I don't give Mike Pence that much thought because I don't think he deserves it. But I do also have no problem um, villainizing him and and tearing him down. Uh, wasn't he invited to Pennywise and Babadook's wedding? That's how he he's on the guest list. Oh That's yeah. Right. Yeah yeah. Oh yeah. He, yeah, and I get, your, I get what you're saying. Like, some people are just evil, and he is someone that is just evil. Yeah. I, I guess it's like, I think I say, like, maybe he's gay because it makes me feel, 
I like I don't want to feel like evil is real, and I right. want to feel like someone's. I would rather feel like someone's filled with self hatred than that they're just an evil person. You know what I mean? I mean, and maybe that's how I'm screwed up as a person to to view it that way. No, I think that's interesting, but it, it's kind of like you have to then think. Yeah. There's a pitiable aspect of him in a way that I don't want to, to yeah. give. And he yeah. doesn't deserve that either. Because yeah. the truth is, is even if he is a closeted gay person, it doesn't make him not a horrible person by right. pitying him for that. You that's know what true. I mean? I mean, that's the thing that we like we don't like to talk about frequently. But there have been terrible gay people. Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, yeah. Everyone and in this, the Republican this comes Party. Up, this comes <laughs> up on your show a lot of yeah. how, you know, I think we are ready for a time to where we don't need to just have the cute coming out story. What, what's it called? Love, Simon? Uh, have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. That, the the kid from movie, yeah. Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. He, he's, he plays the coming out queer teen really rom-com like i saw the trailer for it and i was like i i think it's important and i think that this is you know it looks like a not my kind of movie to enjoy but right. i think it would be uh behoove me to see because it's part of the zeitgeist this is a straight man's gay movie and it's it's a movie for teenagers like we honestly when you think about when we were in high school was there a mainstream wide release gay teen movie that like we could go to the multiplex and see like all the only teen movies we got were basically very heteronormative like she's all that where it was still no matter how ill-behaved Freddie Prince Jr. was he took the girl and made her life better mm-hmm. and it's like you know straight straight is the way mm-hmm. And there were a few teen gay comedies like Edge of Seventeen or whatever but I didn't even get to see those until later yeah. because they didn't come to the theater where I live right yeah. yeah. But so while it's important that we have those, I think we are growing to a time where we can represent. And and this is just my bread and butter. I just want to play all the gay serial killers, like I, <laughs> all the gay I, villains. I, I honestly like. I think that uh, exactly like. Don't gay. you think villains are kind of also a little bit gay? Like a lot of like Disney classic villains, they they could definitely be gay people. Well, uh, that's sort of gay on the same totally point. Relate to they are villainized in you know historically yeah. you know like Interesting. You, you know the the Jafar is very flamboyant you know what i mean like so now you're saying that now that gay people are more accepted you're okay with roles of a spectrum of gay people who are good roles but gay people are villainized but not in stereotypical fl- like i'm the stereotypical flamboyant person need to be a villain but in a way that i'm a complex character that just happens to be gay exactly. we're showing yeah. that gay people are people and that's something that i wanted from enemies of dorothy you see some uh college humor sketches there was one that totally just blew my mind it was the uh the guy was a spy and he he got his little guy in the chair to be like oh we need to pull up all the information we can on this guy and see if he's gay or not oh i saw that sketch that was yeah yeah. yeah, that was one of the moments where i was like this is a gay sketch that is not about being gay like the joke in the punchline is not and he's gay and so that was something that we sort of set out and I don't know how well we're necessarily accomplishing it with our absurd kind of out there humor and punchlines and, and gags and stuff but I've always wanted every sketch to not be that you know he's gay gays oh, are get the it? punchline it's get just it? he's something gay. we're just writing about our life and problems that we have and instead of it being a punchline and instead of I mean I get that too like it's weird as a comic people would be like oh the gay comic and it's like 
I'm just talking about my life. I'm not using queer as a punchline or trying to be, because there are comedians out there that are like, I'm a cheesy gay person, and here's some cheesy gay, like it's almost like gay jokes for straight people type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the deeper that I've gotten into comedy writing and the deeper I've gotten into myself, it's like I'm going to write about things that are political and about being gay, but it's not the punchline. Like I always, being gay is never a punchline in a sketch. It's more of the premise behind it, and we'll write about things that are happening in the gay community, but it's never the joke. But I, I would love to see, you know, the, a boring gay librarian or, you know what I mean? Right. Like there's there's just the doctor. He, he's gay. You well, know? you both hit on something that I, I started thinking about that I'm kind of fascinated by. And I guess it also connects to like the horror uh, kind of antagonists as well and sort of a through line of discussions I've had all throughout this show. But you said, well, what about the Disney villains? And, you know, they're, that kind of flamboyancy. Uh when I was a kid, I always liked the villain more because I always mm-hmm. felt there was more there. And I think there was a flamboyancy, like even Batman's villains or like you look at all your your uh, comic book villains. There's always just so much more complexity and damage, but also they are like living so much louder. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like Frozen. Uh, Elsa, the Ice Queen or whatever, was originally going to be a, a, just a villain. And they decided to kind of make her like this anti-hero type of thing like this hero villain you know type of thing and I feel like that's why that movie was so popular mm-hmm. is because people sometimes villains aren't are this people that everyone's like oh this evil ice queen they're like oh well actually she's not really that bad of a person she just has all of these issues right and I like that they're kind of exploring that now versus just being like this person is bad and that's all about them you know and I think people become villains by circumstance, too. I, yeah. I think that Elsa was ostracized. I mean, Elsa's truly a queer character in the way yeah. that oh, she yeah. like is not comfortable Closeted. with herself. She's cl- She closets herself away. Uh, but then if you look at the divide between Gaston and the Beast, yeah. Gaston literally wants to trap Belle into a marriage, so he takes her uh, father hostage. The Beast literally wants to trap Belle, into a marriage, so he takes her father hostage. They're the same side of different coins, or the same side of the same coin, different analogies. <laughs> Coming up this hour on Dead for Filth. Uh, so it's just all perspective, and I guess that maybe when you grow up queer, there's a moment where because of how society talks to us and about us, you feel like maybe you're the villain. We also relate to sometimes what the villains are going through. Right. We the relate to being like, you're an ostracized person that just wants power and the reason like maybe I don't know Ursula wants power wants a voice or whatever she wants a voice she just wants to be heard and maybe if she was grew up in a different environment I I would love to just have like a retelling of all those stories from that villain's point of view it's why Wicked was so popular because everyone's like oh this evil witch but we're always like yeah we know what that feels like and she was actually not a bad person well I remember growing up the first time I really saw a villain character that I connected to and I know that you guys are kind of into the world of comics and and Mm -hmm. geek ephemera if I may say so but Magneto for me was a first one when I was reading the X-Men because I remember that was the first villain when I kind of like got into what his story was I was like this is not a wrong person Mm -hmm. his his methods of executing what he wants are maybe wrong but what he's saying is not incorrect that's a great example well they're based off of um malcolm x and uh, dr martin luther king you know that right i didn't know that that's interesting um professor x is like uh martin luther king and uh uh god what's his name i'm having a magneto is based off of malcolm x where he's more um his methods are more like uh what would you say like um 
Extreme. Extreme. Yeah, extreme. But also, he's right to feel that way, too. Like, he's right to be an extremist yeah. because of the climate. Yeah, if they don't accept us, you know, then they had their chance. Who there, would you guys be on? Of... If you were on a team, would you be on Xavier's Institute or Magneto's? I would be on Magneto's side. I would definitely be yeah. under yeah. Magneto's. I don't know. I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> You are a boring little oh, Gryffindor. Chris and I are both Slytherins, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. We're like, we're going to take this world and everyone's going to abide by our rules. I know, but that that's perfect. I saw my, one of my favorite memes, too, right after the election was the beforehand was like, we can all live peacefully and, and create world peace for mutants to live amongst us. And after the election is, I have formed a brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but that, you know, that feeling like you can relate to that. That uniting of like, you know what? If they want to fight, then let's fucking fight. Yeah. Right. Well, this is a holiday special. <laughs> and uh, I, I know that we went a little far afield. Uh, but it is, it's a time for celebration. And, you know, even if we're celebrating joining together to defeat our common enemies. Uh, tell me, what, what do you do for the holidays? Are there films you like to watch? Do you have specific traditions? Drinking. <laughs> Rum and eggnog. We are having a slumber party at our house this year. Yeah. Uh, we have a bunch of friends that we're going to play video games with and board games with. And I'm insane, though. I buy... Okay, I'm... A gift giver. A gift giver. Yeah. But, like, an insane... Like, I just... Fa- okay, I hid Ryan's Christmas presents. He found them. So then I got him a bunch of new Christmas presents because I'm a crazy bitch. Found those. He just <laughs> found those, and I found out last night, opened them all. I, like, he didn't just find the packaging of it. He's like, he shakes his boxes and will be like, I know what this is. I know what this is. I went through your Amazon account, and I, I know what you got, what I got. I'm a sleuth. It's all by chance. I don't go looking for it. I'm just a natural detective. That's a lie. He wants to know his Christmas presents. Sure. Because he gets more because he knows that I'm a crazy bitch and he's like, you ruined Christmas and now I have to make everything perfect again. <laughs> we actually have a, an actor friend of mine coming down from Canada uh, and she's going to be staying with us over Christmas because that's what worked. And I already got her five gifts. Yeah. Yep. There okay, we go. Five. Committed. Yeah. I'm insane. I want everyone, and I'm the type of person that like, are you happy? Are you happy with your gifts? Are you happy with Christmas? Is this making this enjoyable? And everyone's just like, okay. Honestly, it's great to work on a set with Chris because he does have that personality. It really, that really does add to our ang- <laughs> anxious. I make I Ryan you were very anxious. lovely to work with. No, yeah, that was it's one very of the only times. He's a he's a caretaker. He'll make sure there's if someone's hungry, he'll order food. Yeah, you got a fifty dollar pizza one time. My friends You're call me crazy. Leslie. Nope. Oh, yeah, because I'm a little bit of like a parent. I'm a little bit overbearing about it, uh, but I like everyone to be happy. And I don't have money for that, but it happens. Yeah. <laughs> gift giver. You're very gift giver. It's your love language. So, yeah, we love Christmas. We're celebrating that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to watch. Oh, I really, for Christmas this year, I really want to watch the Harry Potter movies. Oh, because you've never seen them. Yeah. That's what. I, watch, I read the first three books. I got through the fourth one in my church, so there's evil. So Not I threw them out. Yeah. I want to finally read more about the Harry Potter world. Because I used to do Harry Potter musical improv, and I knew nothing. That sounds, but for like kids' birthday parties, we'd have little, we'd do musical Harry Potter improv stuff for them when I was in tw- like 22. I was in a troupe that would do that for, and I knew nothing about Harry Potter. So I think it's finally time to watch those. Yes. We also want to do a Christmas werewolf. 
oh. uh, over the break, which I hope you'll come if you are here. I will gladly attend if that's the case. Yeah, Yay. it'll be, I think it's smaller. We do them monthly. Yeah. Every full moon. Well, not really. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but you have a pinup full moon for your house. We, there's a full moon there. He uh, does. For people who don't know what Werewolf is, it's like a, a game of, of sleuthing, I suppose, where everyone is assigned yes. a role, but only you know your role. And uh, You have to tell who's like the werewolf, who are the murderers, and who are the villagers, who yeah. are the but, innocent villagers. And everyone's claiming to be a villager. The last so. time I came to play, I was the village idiot. Can I say, though, this is what I've learned, <laughs> though, and I learned yeah. this during your game, because you were the idiot and you voted for everyone. People are too polite, and if you're polite and you're like, I want to be polite and be liked, you will be murdered. And Mm -hmm. if you notice by real murders, that's what happens. (laughs) Most people who are murdered, it's because they are too nice to the murderer and like, well, I don't want to be rude, so I'll invite this person to my house. I'll give this person my phone number. I'll jump in this person's car. Like, they don't want to be rude and make a big scene about it, and that's why... They don't, get be murdered. Polite. don't be don't polite. Don't be polite to strangers. I want the police procedural series where Chris plays the detective. That's like you got to be rude to people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your uh, uh, social anxiety, your introvertedness, it can really help save your life. It can. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How about you, Ryan? Any particular uh, holiday traditions or things? Um, I, you know, we decorated uh, this year. I love decorating. That's for Halloween and Christmas. You know, we got Nerf guns. uh, Nerf guns is the holiday tradition since we were kids, though. And Chris has really helped bring that back. But um, a few years ago, my mom sent us uh, a bunch of Nerf guns that we use. So there's a always a Nerf gun war on Christmas Day. Oh. So we've got, uh, we're loading up this year, though, to make sure everyone uh, has a gun. How very American. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to shoot each other for Christmas. Isn't this fun, kids? And then have a turkey. <laughs> uh, now, I'll ask you specifically, since I know that you are more in touch with the world of horror films, uh, is there a Christmas horror movie that you like? Uh, you know what? I have not seen uh, Krampus yet. <gasps> I want to see that. I want to. I had. I didn't watch it. When did that come out? Two years ago. Two or years last ago. Year? Wow. Is yeah. it good? It is good. It's oh, a good. lot of fun. I love um, the main actress from Fargo. Uh, what's her name? The uh, Cramp. She she played the the mom. She was married to. Um, uh, have you seen Fargo? Yeah. The TV show. Oh, I haven't. Seen, I have not watched the TV oh, show yet. Okay. Yeah, but she, are you talking about Tony Collette because she's in it? Oh no, Tony Collette is in it. Yeah. Um, she must be the sister. I think she was pregnant in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You know I, know, I know the actress you're talking about, but the name doesn't ring a bell. Oh, I love her in Fargo. So as soon as I saw she was in that movie, I knew it's a dead ringer. Well, Krampus is a must-watch. It's definitely a new holiday classic. So we'll watch that. But we uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. yeah, we actually we went to the ride at Disney. We went oh. to the ride at Disney. Now, I'm a kid. Do you think that Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie or both? They actually announced it's... officially that it was a Christmas movie. Oh, like really? they did official announcement saying it is a Christmas movie. Absolutely both, though. I think that's what's so great about it. It's a November movie. You can watch it. <laughs> sure, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving doesn't get enough cinema love. Why not? It really doesn't. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about it. there's not like the Thanksgiving movie with Zac Efron and other blonde actress and a bunch of other people. Well, there's a, a horror movie for you. Tell Thanksgiving, you know. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Thanksgiving is just a horror. Mo- like no one. Do people have good Thanksgivings? Uh, I think when they do it their way. Imagine like the Thanksgiving movie and it's a horror movie and it's just Indians being murdered. Yeah. The massacre. Well, that's, I think that's history. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a historical that's accuracy. That's why there's no horror Thanksgiving movie, because it would just be history. Yeah, it's a depressing Horrible. truth. 
It's <laughs> horrible. Wow. Um, so uh, I do have to ask. I was just thinking about this. Tell me about the Streep monologues. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's not specifically gay. They were pretty clear on that, but it was very gay. Uh, but it was just all men performing to their best acting chops, uh, different roles from Meryl Streep. I did Sophie's Choice. Okay, a so, nice light choice. A yeah, nice yeah. light choice. Yeah. But, you know, I, it was a good choice, too. Like, the audience would cry. Mm-hmm. I would cry. Bring myself to tears, you know, telling the stories. But the the night is a fun, festive night, sort of celebrating uh, this wonderful actress, right? And so most of the monologues were uproariously funny. And so, but it's still to the same commitment. But just seeing, you know, uh, this guy who maybe has flamboyant affectations, just really committing to the mom in August Osage County <laughs> or uh, the nun in doubt. It, it, it just, it's incredible. And they need to bring it back. We keep, they do this. Like they'll come for like one year and then they'll take like a four year hiatus and every single month they say that they're bringing it back and they won't. And I need, they need to bring it back because it was so amazing. And it was so great because everyone was really funny. And then Ryan just did Sophie, Sophie's Choice and then suddenly everyone in the audience is crying. <laughs> but you know, they'd have a really funny one first and then they'd have a funny one after. But um, words in pain are words in pain. And mm. I think that's a cool thing of seeing it is that. And nobody's playing the comedy. No one's playing Meryl Streep. They're just using those words and making a monologue about them. About Ryan Leslie Fisher is making those words about himself in a in a way, kind of. You know what I mean? So as committed as um, somebody who would do a dramatic monologue would be to theirs, so would somebody who gets a lot of laughs out of the audience. There was a River Wild was one of the the last one because the stage got soaked where we had just blue sheets that we would fan out, a little kiddie pool, and then uh, spray bottles to, to uh, be the wild Legitimate Hollywood theater. A real Hollywood theater. So, so it's a bit comical, but at the same time, like, the guy in the middle is really committed to, to the... serious. To, like, he's really on those uh, wild ride on the raft. Uh, so this begs the question, do you have a personal favorite Meryl Streep performance for both of you? I don't think I've seen a Meryl Streep. I think I saw her oh in the last one that we we watched uh, this movie called. Um, it's like a fairy tale movie from Disney. The one where they sing. Oh boy! Into the woods. Yeah. Uh, I I, I do this with. Bad I, I'll nightmares. let him get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get the. You'll I think get that's the, reference. All, the first time I saw Meryl Streep. No. Oh. No, she is just a chameleon. So you have no idea. There was this is one, this is his movie brain coming out. This is a kid who I has no idea who Meryl Streep is. So I didn't. <laughs> I, I love that though. Yeah, I didn't. It is I fun. mean, I knew who she was just because gay men would just be like, oh, Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? So I'm like, she must be special. You're talking about the cast of Streep Tees. Just yeah. In general, I feel like people love Meryl Streep. Like she's someone I've never heard someone be like, ugh, Meryl Streep. Like I've, you don't hear that. I kind of love the idea that Chris has experienced the work of Meryl Streep first through monologues by gay men, though, yes. because that's a very fascinating it, place to live. It is, yeah. Well, yeah, we just had Into the Woods, but I mean, that's hardly her greatest. You know, she's wonderful in in everything, but yeah, um, I can't wait to watch. I more. think Angels in America does amazing. Is, yeah. We started watching that, right? Yeah. See, so he. He, I kept the rabbi at the beginning. Uh, he's still, are you confused? Do you remember? You, you don't even remember that. That wasn't that Meryl Streep, yeah. though. <laughs> see, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. Wait, that was Meryl Streep? Okay, see, this is I that, that conversation. I thought that was a man. This is another reason he doesn't know movies. 
Yes, that was the idea. Very I'm good, right? To be honest, She's I a may chameleon. have like I kind of dozed off a little bit at Angels of America. Don't kill me. You've seen every Meryl Streep movie, I think. You just no, I don't haven't. remember her because no, she's I, cause so good. No, I've never good. seen Sophie's Choice. Though that's the one with the um, the the Jewish people and the things. Yes, that's that the happened one with the Jewish the people. The World War Twos, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I know. I've 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 never seen that. I've never seen the other movies that you mentioned earlier. The one with the water raft or the one with the mom. Cool, 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 cool. Do you have a favorite uh, Meryl Streep performance? Oh, God. Uh, probably The Hours. Um, oh, boy. But I, so good. What I, is that about? It's a story. Sadness. It's, it's very sad. It's one of the most depressing movies. But see, I can't do sad movies. I feel like that's worse than horror movies. Like, at least at horror, I'm right. alive and I'm afraid. But I guess if I was going to choose a fun Meryl Streep performance, I really, really love her as Madeline Ashton in Death Becomes Her. Uh, <laughs> she's amazing in that. Um, Classic. Has she done a horror movie? Uh, well, I, I guess we define on this podcast the horror is very broadly defined. Yeah. So sure. Well, Death Becomes Her definitely falls within that category. It, I think yeah. it's a movie that was uh, originally actually intended to be a Tales from the Crypt movie, and then um, when Robert Zemeckis took it over, it became something else. But like when you know that and watch the movie very much, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in the series of unfortunate events movie. Um, she pops up in gothic ways. Yeah. yeah. She seems really nice. <laughs> she seems great. <laughs> Doesn't she seem lovely? You heard it here first. Meryl Streep, a real nice gal. <laughs> we, we approve. Real nice person. <laughs> uh, so what are you both working on next? Well, we've got a Christmas sketch coming up. When is that? It's released? already out. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. You can watch it now. It's After, not if really. you're listening oh, to this. Oh, if you're listening to this now, it's up. Because today is December 22nd. <laughs> <laughs> Um, We're not recording this in advance at all. Well, that's yeah. That actually, one the other actor in the Gay of Christmas Past is from. Uh, he did Tees. doubt. Yeah. So Streep Tees actually provided a wealth of queer actors. Oh, great. That uh, have been in our tons sketches. of our sketches. So they've been all over the board. But yeah, we did. I and I actually acted in this. Yeah. Which is weird because I usually I feel like Ryan does the acting and I'll just do like a voice or just somewhere appear in a drag you know outfit. But I got to do acting. For once yeah. in this, I got to do the acting. You done good. Kid. I done good. I got to be in two sketches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said it you like will, that. You always forget you were Pennywise. Yeah, and you were an amazing Pennywise. Yeah. It was a complete I gotta transformation. Do that. I got to be Kellyanne Conway, and now my big breakthrough role is I get to be a twink that says five lines. <laughs> yeah, you nailed them. I nailed them. I just rolled my eyes and said my five lines. Yeah, so we have, um, it's called The uh, the Gay of Christmas Past, and it's about... Uh, well, you'll have of, to go watch it, check yeah, it out. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of it's about on, It's on Reverie. Okay. Yeah, that's Ageism. right. And then we have uh, some sketches lined up for next year. Yeah, we, we're produ- uh, filming while our actor friend from Canada is visiting. Oh, so we're sort of uh, keeping the, the family, everything in the family, and, and moving production forward with yeah. all of our friends. Yeah. I so love that. Bringing them in from. Uh, we have to get you to direct another one, but hopefully not a scary one. I would be. Well, you know, I also have a whole other life that maybe the mm-hmm. listeners here don't know about. Uh, or I, us. I do. Well, I do. It's a whole other life. I am actually a spy. Yeah. Uh, no, I. Yeah, Hallmark Christmas spectacular. Yeah, I've written a number of. Imagine those spy that their like fake like persona is someone that writes Hallmark movies. <laughs> that's I mean, that would be amazing. That's that's a movie unto itself. Yeah. What about okay? So we recently found out that our elf on the shelf committed suicide, and I tagged you in this. You did? Did I see this? Our roommate hung our elf on the shelf with a noose. And like 
from the roof, hung it off the roof, and we were in the kitchen, yeah, and we, it's like two stories above us, just dangling in a roof like with a noose around its neck. It, just from so the we kitchen could, window. From the balcony down to oh the kitchen God. window. It's yeah. incredible. And someone is He's like... He's really upped his game. That's a tradition we do. There should be a horror movie about elf on the shelf ghosts. <laughs> well, okay, you know, I was about ready to wind down the episode, but I have to dip back in on this elf on the shelf thing, because if there's anything truly horror about Christmas, it's whatever... It's elf on the shelf. Yeah. For sure. When did that... First off, when did that start? Because that did not exist when we were kids. Mm-mm. There's no way. No, it's, it's uh, recent. It also would have scared the shit out of me if we had it in the house. We see them all the time. I opened up a salad and the elf in the shelf was in my salad. You're really upping leftovers. the game for this it was year in for a hiding. Brita water, water, Brita water, oh my god, Brita water filter. It was in that thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, wouldn't that get it wet? Yes, you would think empty, so. He emptied it out. Our Hung roommate. off of our balcony. I think he took it as a, a challenge. We hit it in his shower. We hit it in and his And then shower. now he's just gone nuts in our salads. I mean, I get really? like, okay, for adults, there's the humor of it, slash, you can get darker about it. But like, when even you're just thinking about kids, like, you're selling to the idea of the kid, like, this moves at night while you're asleep and it watches everything you do. It's the new Gremlins. Naughty. Yeah, it's, it's naughty. I'm telling you, these things are going to be murderous creatures. I'm just, I feel a little uncomfortable no? with an elf in my home. Really? It, yeah. It's ours strange. Is king. Yeah, ours is a gay elf. Okay, well, of course. So it's a yeah, little yeah. more festive. But uh, <laughs> How do elves reproduce if they're gay? I don't know. Don't you think all elves are gay? No. Okay. Aren't they born out of, like, toadstools or something? I don't know. I, I don't want to picture elves' genitalia. But the, I, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. We can look it up. Um, yes. That's a great way to end the podcast, elves' genitalia. You heard it here first. <laughs> Get your Google on. Uh, where can people find you guys? I thought you were going to say, where can people find elves? Uh, elf <laughs> you got to get off the elf thing. I don't know. I just pictured elf dick. Uh, well, you, you can, can find, find us, us on uh, Facebook, Enemies of Dorothy. Or Enemies of Dorothy. Uh, Ryan's Instagram is Ryan Leslie Fish. Fisher. Sure. Um. My Instagram is at Tinder Chris. Oh, and you can find our sketches on Reverie. Yeah. Yay. So because like I mean this is a cross promotion so you should if you if you like our sketches you should listen to Michael and you probably are if you listen to this and then you should <laughs> listen to our sketches on the Reverie preferably watch them because you can watch them they have visualizations they, they do audio and visual presentation by <laughs> enemies of Dorothy enemies of Dorothy <laughs> comedic tragic and horror well, thank you for joining me in this holiday season, both of you. It was a great joy to have you both here. Our utmost pleasure. Thank well, you. Please follow Ryan and Chris on all the social medias that they just said and watch Enemies of Dorothy on Reverie. And uh, to all of you out there, have a happy haunted holiday. I'm, this has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always in Glam and Gore. Good night and good luck. Greetings and welcome back to the Dead for Filth holiday special after show? Maybe? I don't know. But you know how we do here. When there's a special occasion, I always like to have producers Drew and Dom pop by and talk about some movies that you can watch for the occasion. And it is the holidays, and there's nothing I love more than holiday horror except maybe a margarita and a good nap. Uh, So welcome back, you two. Happy to be back and happy to be celebrating Christmas. Hello. 
Yes, Mary, Mary. Um, you know, listeners know the drill by now. Uh, when you two stop by, we just tend to talk about what they should be watching for the season. So, you know, let's let's leap into it. What are your holiday horror recommendations? The end-all be-all, the best holiday horror film and one of the best slasher films of all time is Bob Clark's Black Christmas. It is absolutely amazing. It's Margot Kidder. And the amazing John Saxon and Cure Delay from uh, Bunny Lake is Missing and nothing else. Oh, um, oh, oh my. <laughs> There's a, there is no 2001 apology here. <laughs> it, it's one of my favorite slasher films ever. The Christmas mood is all throughout it. It doesn't even take place on Christmas. It's like the lead up to Christmas. It's like Christmas break. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when for when you go to university, Christmas breaks a long goddamn time. Yeah. Was like, so that movie probably just like is actually like November 20th. Or something <laughs> like when, yeah. um, but that's that's the end all be all classic. And if you haven't seen that, you've got some homework to do. Yeah. You know what I really like about Black Christmas is that it is a um, proto slasher movie as well. It even predates Halloween. Uh, and there is a sense of like dread all through it that I, I really appreciate. I also just really like uh, Olivia Hussey who plays the lead because she seems like a girl who really shouldn't be in the sorority because she just seems like time out of joint out of everyone else. But um, I also have a great affinity uh, for Bob Clark personally because he not only made horror movies, but he also did the Christmas classic, A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. And I Personally, as someone who makes Christmas movies and horror films, have always like considered him to be like the light to which we look. And as a Hoosier, that movie is like all we get. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and and there's an element to a Christmas story that after you've seen it for the twelve thousandth time, you kind of have to look at it with new eyes. Um, just just the fact that it, when you when you actually you know it's it's sort of very similar to the narrative aspects of of uh black christmas with uh what's his name billy billy um <laughs> uh you know they they have very similar character profiles uh of just a, a psychotic individual secluded from the world lingering on one one memory um <laughs> there, there's billy now why he's so freaking obsessed with that one year of christmas where his dad just happened to Yep. This is a grown man recounting one bad Christmas that supposedly ruined his life. <laughs> That's psychopathic. It's true. There's s- some darkness there. There's a sequel to A Christmas Story that not oh, not yeah. A Christmas Story 2, not that one that was recently made with Daniel Stern, but like a movie about Ralphie and and company like on summer break and I don't remember what it's called but it does exist and this is homework because I have a smartphone in front of me but I'm too damn lazy to look uh, and you know we can't do everything for you Dom what's your holiday uh, you, you've you... heard that viewers call into the uh, dead for filth hotline <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, uh, you know, I, I, this is a little bit of a cop-out, but it, it's one that I always take every opportunity to talk about, uh, one that we like to consider the only tri-annual holiday-approved film, which is Gremlins. Mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Now, now, the tri-annual, just to address that, uh, that, that, that being the fact that Gremlins, you can not only watch uh, early on Columbus Day, because it was written by, uh, you know, just a child filmmaker extraordinaire Chris Columbus. Yes, the, the only, only one that we celebrate. The only Columbus worth celebrating. Uh, also, Halloween, because it's a lovely, spooky horror film, but also Christmas. Um, and uh, to stretch it a little bit to uh, Gremlins 2, you can watch on President's Day, and that's an inside joke for only those who have seen Gremlins 2, which is the greatest inside joke. I love Gremlins 2. <laughs> uh, Phoebe Cates is an icon. Absolutely. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just it's 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 sort of for, for the same reasons that people love you know Nightmare Before Christmas. Gremlins is just one of those kind of you know. But films that exists between holiday, you know, sort of setups, um, yeah. and so it's it's one that you can kind of watch all year round. But it's uh, it's perfect around the holiday season. Uh, it's it's the best and worst gift that you could ever receive as a Mogwai. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I uh, I love when the Gremlins go Christmas caroling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have questions, and I always have, even as a kid. Uh, what the we like we know the rules you can't get them wet you can't expose them to light you can't feed them after midnight but like what midnight cuz time zones are a thing when do you feed them again does it like morning light well, also like because the movie's set at christmas time and they're out in the snow snow is water how come they're not like multiplying yeah well, uh, joe dante uh, please call in <laughs> especially if you draw the the asian roots of the mogwai back to its home country uh the the, the asian time zone could not be more literally polar to to the u.s time zone uh whether that's west coast or not um yeah it, it's I, I i think it's subjective <laughs> maybe gremlins just have great biological clocks all of yeah. these questions are addressed but not answered by gremlins too see yeah, and, that's, and that's something that I, I i was really hoping to uh break down in my script for gremlins 3 specifically the fact that mogwais do not have jet lag Oh, oh yeah! All right, yeah, that's that. That's a fact. Because because if if, if you look at um uh you know the, the 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 accounts of that the gremlins actually come from the mythology of kind of just uh you know very xenophobic paranoia from World War II that mogwais were essentially demons that that the Japanese would put in the U.S. planes to make them go down and have technical errors and actually in like car culture and motorcycle culture uh there are little gremlin bells and gremlin charms that you hang from your vehicles to prevent gremlins from going inside people are a mess yeah (laughs) Just (laughs) just give the world to dogs uh um so gremlins black christmas gosh i mean i i get i'm a horror holiday purist in the way that i love silent night deadly night mostly because i have always been a fan of a movie that really upsets parents um and when silent night deadly night came out it was protested widely because it provided imagery of killer santa and people thought that was just like horrifying for kids and i remember specifically roger ebert and gene siskel did a whole episode where they shamed the entire cast and crew of the film where they sat and read the credits of Silent Night, Deadly Night and were like, shame on you, sir, for ruining Christmas. And, you know, <laughs> here is Roger Ebert who wrote, uh, you know, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Defending the war on Christmas. Yeah, defending the war on Christmas. But I also think it's just like a really delightful, sleazy horror film for the holidays with like maybe the sexiest slasher of all time, Billy. Uh, and like a kind of a... a, a boots kicking soundtrack like i have the soundtrack of silent night deadly night in my car on cd and it's the only christmas album that i listen to every year because the songs are like legit like rocking carols like i don't even like associate them with the movie it's just kind of like i like i'm in the midwest it's winter time christmas silent night deadly night do you have any uh more up-to-date christmas classics because these are these are all classics these are 80s 70s great christmas horror things but we've had an outgrowth of them recently. Uh, are there any new great horror classics out there? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that you want to talk about Better Watch Out, which we both, by coincidence, watched last night independently. Uh, and I'm going to let you discuss it, although I think it's great. Yeah. Um, for me, there was a film that came out of, I believe, Finland a few years ago called Rare Exports, 
which was all about this ice expedi- expedition where they accidentally uh, capture a killer Santa Claus, but like he's real Santa Claus. And they're like, uh, you know, in their Scandinavian way, like, oh, no, uh, trouble. Um, and it's it's kind of a beautiful movie and a bizarre movie. And I just uh, I don't know. I love killer Santas. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like all about it. Uh, yeah. So Rare Exports would be my more recent um, recommendation. I'm trying to think if there's any others. Uh, there's a great indie film called Dismembering Christmas made by a filmmaker in the Midwest, uh, Kevin Summerfield. That I really enjoyed. I named it as one of my 10 favorite horror films of 2015 when I did a guest article for Horror Buzz. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, yeah, those are my my more recent holiday jams. Yeah, about- w- w- one from uh, 2015 uh, is from uh, Michael Doherty, who also did Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a, a very contemporary kind of new uh, Halloween tradition of, of a film. Uh, he also brought Krampus, uh, uh, which, you know, is... is, is Comes from was it Polish, uh, you know, European folklore. Um, I saw somebody on on Conan talking about that they were actually raised with it, uh, but it's it's sort of the the scarier aspects of Santa Claus culture right. um, uh, of the Krampus monster. But you know the, the the real props of the film. It's got a great cast. Um, but but uh, Jules Cook, who is the production designer, and all of the art team, production design, costuming, and and uh, prosthetics and special effects for this film really really deserve this. This is one of those that you know very much should have received an Academy Award for its work. Because it looks great. It really does. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the atmosphere that, that was established in this film is worth the view alone. Um, you know, it, it kind of has its moments. It's kind of like Trick or Treat. It has mm-hmm. its moments. Uh, overall, it's just a very solid film, but but the actual aspects, like the, the, the prosthetics of like the monsters that come out that are cursed by Krampus to, you know, attack people and and just even just even the, the, the most convincing Snowden uh, cul-de-sac I think I've ever seen in yeah. a film. I'm very fond of the killer gingerbread man uh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that Krampus brings to life. Yeah. And because, you know, like your whole life, people tell you that cookies could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> And there yeah. it is. So, yeah, no, I really enjoy Krampus a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and it's absolutely one worth revisiting for anyone who has seen it, uh, just following the the, the, the Trump presidency, um, because this is specifically a film about a family that has to meet with their extended rural side of their family that are gun-toting Republicans who, oh, who yeah. hate the liberal snowflakes and want to see them melt. Um, and so what better time of year than Christmas to... to deal with those issues bring the family together <laughs> i'm a really big fan of trick-or-treat but i still have yet to see krampus so i'll yeah. add it to your christmas list hopefully find it in my stocking this year um <laughs> i as michael mentioned just watched better watch out last night which we both accidentally watched without planning it yeah uh, i love synergy mm-hmm. but yeah it was just uh it's now on shutter for mm. those interested and it's a lovely home invasion christmas modern classic mm-hmm. um, about a babysitter taking care of her uh, 12 going on a 13 year old charge during the holiday season while uh, his parents are away for a Christmas party and the parents are played with a plum by Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen right? yeah I want a whole movie about them like oh, I, yeah, I really really loved Better Watch Out but what's kind of great is they are just so fucking weird and hilarious then they leave to go to the office Christmas party or whatever and then the whole time I was watching it I was like I wonder what Patrick Warburton and Virginia <laughs> Madsen are doing right now like and I don't even need it to be a horror movie I just kind of like want to see them at the office Christmas party like hanging out and Patrick Warburton's like 
subtly gay, as they call metrosexual character, is absolutely delightful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so sorry, just a real quick clerical edit. You said uh, played to a plum when you should have said played to a sugar plum. Oh, keep okay. it, keep it seasonal. I, <laughs> it's early yet. My puns aren't on where they should be. Um, but it's, no, it's not early. This is podcast time. We're floating in the ether. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Behind the doorway of Dead for Filth. Um, but no, uh, Better Watch Out is lovely and has uh, a hell of a twist between the first and second act yeah. that really gets the movie going from that point on to the rest of the night. I was shaking through the entirety of the movie and anxiety ridden. And what a movie can do that to you, that's, that's pretty fucking successful. Yeah, I, I haven't been that... Like even Get Out didn't get me like that. I do think that Better Watch Out is definitely one of the best horror films of 2017, not just holiday horror, uh, but horror in general, because it, it it sows those seeds of anxiety so very well. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, all good recommendations around. I'm going to throw one last recommendation in because I like to bring this one up during the holidays because there's always that friend and you have them too. I guarantee whoever you are, listener, you've got that person in your life. That's going to say to you, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. Okay, great. I love Die Hard as well. That person's not as clever as they think they are. Uh, (laughs) But you know what will make them really clever is if they say Batman Returns is their favorite Christmas film. Because boy, what a fucking tree lighting that movie is. Mm -hmm. Well, Ducks. Terry Gilliam's Brazil is also a lovely heartwarming Christmas classic. Yeah, I like these movies that are Christmas movies in alternative ways, and I will include Die Hard. I'm a, I'm a fan of the OG. Uh, I just like to give people uh, shit because <laughs> it seems to come up every year. But you know what? Ho, ho, ho. Now I've got a machine gun. Um, <laughs> wow. So you have a lot to watch, including Die Hard. Watch Batman Returns. Watch Krampus. Watch Rare Exports. Watch Better Watch Out. Uh, You know, all of these gremlins. Just don't eat after midnight only because you know you're going to have so much more to eat tomorrow because America or some shit. We love you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy whatever you want and whatever you believe in your heart. From us to you, Drew and Tom, thank you. As always, this has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always in Glam and Gore. Good night and good luck. Dead for Filth has been a Reverie Studios production. The show is executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels. Produced by me, Michael Verratti, Dominic Segetti, and Drew Phillips. The sound engineers for this episode were Dominic Segetti and Drew Phillips. Music by My Own Cubic Stone. Edited by Drew Phillips.